Well, last uh, Lord's Day, we finished our series of messages uh, on Jeremiah. And uh, it was a wonderful uh, series. I know it was for me. I hope it was ministered to your hearts. Um, I, have the resp- I have the privilege of studying for these and digging deeply. And it was just, uh, just an amazing book. And uh, I'm glad that you came with me on the journey uh, through Jeremiah. And uh, today we're beginning a brand new series of messages about marriage and relationships. And I've entitled it, I do, I don't, I will, I won't. Because I don't think that there's nothing that describes modern day marriage and relationships like those four phrases. I do, I don't, I will, I won't. Now, one lineup change. Um, when I did this wait months ago and made the different series, it's a four-week series, so it's a short series. Um, I, the, third, the third message of the series was going to be on sexual purity. Uh, entitled it, um, you know, how to find sexual purity or does sexual purity matter? And I plugged it into the what I thought was the right date, May 12th, Mother's Day. And I've been I've been told by several people that uh, we shouldn't talk about sex on Mother's Day. Why not? How do we get to be mothers anyway? You know, how does that work? But I listen to you and I and I hear you. So uh, we're going to push uh, uh, sexual purity to the 19th. Hopefully we won't push it till the 19th. You know what I mean? Uh, and we'll do uh, another message on the 12th relationships that last a lifetime. And then on the, again, on the 19th, we'll do uh, does sexual purity matter. And I'll, as always, I'll expect a, a big crowd because I don't know what you think I'm going to say when we talk about sex, like something new, you know, that, you know, God all of a sudden says it's okay, you know, and all that. I don't know. But uh, that'll be on the 19th. So during this series, we're going to look at biblical principles that teach and inform us about relationships and how to make them last a lifetime. All relationships generally and marriage relationships specifically. So I want to give you that umbrella passage that we'll be looking at and referring back to many times during these next four weeks. It's found in Ephesians 5, uh, 25 from the message And we read this uh, passage. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. So that's a passage that we'll be referring back to. It really has so much truth in it that kind of overarches everything else we'll be talking about. Husbands, go all all out for your... uh, your, uh, Go all out in love for your wives, exactly as Christ did did for the church. So, uh, as you know, uh, Sherry's uh, been gone for a month in Michigan, and she's back today, and that's awesome. And, um, uh, but, but what our habit is, many times on Mondays, is we go to see a movie. And I love to go to the movies, and Sherry goes along with me. But I also know that she doesn't like the kind of movies I like, the bang them up and blow them up and all of that. So we usually go to movies that she wants to see, on Mondays, uh, chick flicks. So we've seen Les Mis, we've seen Life of Pi, anything British or Nicholas Sparks. Oh, shoot me in the head. Um, but I, I just wanted you to know that because I am a godly, self-sacrificing man. And I, yeah, I know, I know, I know, it's, it's amazing. And, um, and, uh, but but uh, before that, the chickiest chick flick of all 
we saw a couple of years ago. It was called Pride and Prejudice. Now, it's based on a famous book, of course, British, naturally. And uh, yes, I know what you're thinking. I am a man of God and um, a tremendous love and sacrifice for my wife. I managed to get through Pride and Prejudice with uh, Diet Coke and hot tamales. <clears throat> so uh, that was good. But um, this movie, um, the moral of the story, as far as I could tell, was that no matter how bad you mess up, if you're a man and a gazillionaire and speak with a British accent, you're going to get the girl. It's, you're going to get the girl in the end, you know, British movies. Uh, you know. So it's a movie about romance and relationships that includes fighting and turmoil and attraction and confusion and bad judgments and reconciliation. Kind of sounds like modern marriage, doesn't it? I mean, the very same things that we struggle with today, admittedly. Where did this preposterous idea of a man and a woman being in a lifelong relationship come from? I mean, when you think about it, it is really bizarre, right? Well, if you're looking for blame, the blame goes to God. It was his idea. It was his plan from the beginning. In fact, Jesus quotes something from the book of Genesis that God placed in the heart of Moses. Here's what Jesus said about this marriage relationship. Matthew chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, as we begin this series, let me tell you what we're not going to do. We are not going to beat anybody up. It's not my place or my desire to make you feel guilty or bad about past divorces or bad past relationships or anything else. Instead, what we're going to do is look forward. How can we be in the best relationships possible, whether you're married or you're not, today and in the future? So that's what we're going to be looking at in these next four weeks. So today, I want to talk about, the title of this message is, How Do We Find the One? Now, how many of you are married? Raise your hands. Okay, quite a few. How many of you are single? Okay, quite a few. By the way, uh, in the last couple of years, the number of single people in the United States now exceeds the number of married people. Never happened in the, mystery, uh, in the history of our country. I don't think it's ever happened in the history of any country. But there are now more single people in the United States than there are married people. So let's go back to our little survey. So how many of you are single and would like to meet the one? You're probably not going to admit this, but okay, okay, you're not going to admit that. Okay, and how many of you are married, you met the one, and now you'd like to trade in for a new one? Okay, no, 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 be careful now. Okay, yeah, yeah, we, we don't want to go there. So I love it when, <laughs> I love it when someone meets the one. You know what I mean? The starry-eyed girl rushing through the, the weeds and the tulips and the guy coming from the other in his linen shirt and, and uh, they're coming into... I just love it when you meet the one. You know, the, the girl comes home and tells her parents, I've met the guy of my dreams. Mom and Dad, uh, when he burps in public, it's so adorable. 
and he's got these wild nose hairs that's just so cute. And, and when he tells me I look fat, he does it in such an adorable way. I just, I just think this guy is the one that I want to spend the rest of my life with. And so she marries Mr. Perfect. One year later, all of the cute habits are no longer cute. It's amazing how fast the one can be the one who drives you nuts. Can I get an amen? Not really. Okay. <laughs> so, how do you know? Now, here's an early take home to this message. If you're taking notes, you can write this down in your sermon notes. And I want to say this with a caveat. Some of you, especially single people, are not going to like the sound of this. But hang in there with me. Stay with me. And I think you'll understand the take home at the end. So here's the take home for all of us. It's this. To really be fulfilled in life, you have to find the one. You know, some of you are going, I just don't believe that. Well, hang in there with me, okay? To really be fulfilled in life, you have to find the one. To really be full of joy and meaning and satisfaction, you have to find the one. Which raises the question, how do you know when you've found the one? Well, we want to help you with that. Now, um, something that I've found to be very interesting, especially over the last 10 years, is how many people I do premarital counseling with that met online. This is not something that happened back in the 80s, right? This is not something that happened back then. Back then you did it the old-fashioned way, right? You go to a bar and find somebody that's drunk. You know, that's how you find somebody. You know, you know the old-fashioned way. But let me show you some really great way to meet that perfect guy. Uh, it was back from the 80s. Some of you are going to love this. A blast from the past. And this is date, video dating from the 80s. Take a look at this. Okay, early to bed, early to rise makes a woman healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's why you're wiser than me. It's Stephen. Hi, I'm Maurice. I'm an executive by day and a wild man by night. <laughs> Hi, my name's Monroe. Uh, you probably already noticed that I have incredibly blue eyes. Hi, my name is Phil. Uh, most of my friends call me Big Phil. Okay. Um, <laughs> I like to talk to people uh, deep into the night. I play guitar. I'm Aton. Hi, I'm Fred. <laughs> Hi, my name's Mike, and if you're sitting there watching this tape smoking your cigarette, well, hit the fast-forward button, because I don't smoke, and I don't like people who do smoke. I'm not afraid to get sand on my tuxedo if you're not afraid to let the wind mess your hair up a little bit when I take the top down. Perhaps even a, a nice bath with some champagne and candles. Hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. Um, I do fashion photography, and I do consider myself a refined valley dude. Okay. I'm looking for a trendy girl with a simple smile. Wait, it says here. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> I don't know. What I'm not looking for is uh, some big overgrown monster that's always thinking about food. and Whoso binds to himself a joy doth its winged life destroy. Um, I like to uh, do a lot of sailing. I like to outdoor activities. I like climbing. I like travel. I took a sponge ball and <clears throat> was pulling him out of a little girl's ear. Vivacious, foxy. I'm looking for the goddess. Are you the goddess? Who is the goddess? The goddess is the woman, is a woman, is any woman, is all women. <laughs> a figure that is sexy, slim, tight, excellent legs. Mm. <laughs> I'm a... 
Okay, so what do you think of the mullets? Remember the mullets? Ryan, I bet you had a mullet back in the day, right? Right? So if you want to go back to that kind of dating, good luck. You know, it's just not going to happen. There's got to be a better way than that. It seems like most people I know are searching for the one and they don't quite know how to find the one. It's also interesting to note that people are getting married later in life with more reservations, with less success, and with more people and more people than ever are choosing to not get married at all. People are leery. They're scared. They're afraid of being burned again. They put their walls up. I'm not really sure if I will ever find the one again. Now, I made fun of the movie Pride and Prejudice, which I feel is a male responsibility um, to make fun of chick flicks. But that being said, there are some intriguing things in the movie. Relationships a few hundred years ago are dramatically different than they are today. There was no such thing as dating, but only courtship. Dating, the concept of dating is less than a hundred years old. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, But it was about courtship. A guy would ask a girl's father if he could have his hand, his daughter's hand in marriage. In fact, it was very, very funny. Um, My son, Nathan, in Georgia, I also have a son-in-law, Nathan, in Portland. He and my daughter live there. They've been married 10 years. And I remember when I got the phone call, I knew it was coming, right? And I got the phone call from Nathan Darbyshire. And he was kind of hemming and hawing. Didn't I, I, back in those days, of course, I'm a, I'm a teddy bear now, but I was kind of intimidating back in those days, and, at least to a son-in-law. And, uh, and he was hemming and He didn't quite know. Said, finally, he just kind of blurted out. He said, Mr. Cross, I would like to ask for the hand of your daughter in marriage. And I said, Nathan, I said, you can have my daughter's hand in marriage, but you can have absolutely nothing beyond her hand. <laughs> nothing else. And there was this dead silence on the phone. He didn't know that I had a twisted sense of humor. Just silence. And finally I said, Nathan, that was a joke. Oh, he said, oh, I'm so glad. You know, but, but, but now, now in the old days, and even, again, 100 years, 100, just 100 years ago, it was about courtship. And it was about asking your parents' permission and getting your parents' blessing and letting your parents speak into your lives. Like, um, uh, where's Raja and Shalini? Okay, right over here. Okay, Shalini's in the nursery. Roger and Shalini, you had a you had a a, a fixed marriage, right? Your parents and now you guys could have said no, but but you respected your parents and you married the woman that they thought you should, and of course you're now pretty good, right? And and that's the way it used to be, right? Right? Okay, good. Yes. Don't let me down, Raja. Don't let me down. But that's the way it used to be. You would let adults, uh, people that have been married, speak truth into your lives and speak, uh, uh, you know, uh, counsel into your lives. Now, today, dating is so different than courtship. Like I said, it's only about 100 years old. You'll never find anything about dating in the Bible because there was no such thing. Uh, And dating, I think, kind of came along with the invention of the automobile. And I'm not saying that in jest. I think it's true. Uh, it came on. So you send out a 15-year-old girl in a car with a 17-year-old guy with no accountability, no oversight, no speaking into their relationships, at least in the moment. It's, it's, it's a wonder that marriages ever work or ever have success. I, I remember our um, daughter, uh, she wasn't allowed to date. We lived in Denver until she was 16. And when she did, she met a boy 
And, and I said, well, I have to meet him first. So she was getting dressed, and this boy came over. His name was Michael. And I invited him in. You know, I was going to grill him. And uh, so, Michael, uh, do you like sports? No, I don't like sports. Okay, strike one. Okay, <laughs> Michael, uh, do you like school? Are you a good student? No, I don't like school. You know, and it's just kind of a zero. And I was going, oh, no, how did she ever find this guy? And, uh, and find, the last question I asked him, I said, I was just hoping for anything. So I said, Michael, tell me, I mean, I'm sure you've thought about your future. Tell me what you see yourself doing in the future. He said, well, next weekend I'm going to a barbecue. You know, that was his future. You know, and we need to speak into these children. They don't know what they're doing. And we let them go out in a car by themselves. right? And it's no wonder. That there is rampant sex among teenagers going through multiple partners. What are they doing? Looking for the one. Doing married things and then breaking up, practicing for divorce. I'm committed, sort of. I get pregnant. Here's money for an abortion. Uh, we get STDs. We fix that. It's your problem, not my problem. And half of marriage is in divorce. And we ask, well, that shouldn't be a surprise. Biblically speaking, what we see today is far removed from God's principles. You say, well, everybody else is doing it. That's the way everybody's doing dating. I know that. But can you hear this, please, with me? It's not working. It's not working. The way we do dating, the way we get our kids to do dating, even the way we look for a second or a third spouse if we've been divorced or widowed or something, it's not working. There's got to be a better way. So we have a choice, a real choice when it comes to finding the one. Do we do it society's way or discover a new path, a biblical path, God's way? Could it be? that God has something higher and better for his people? Could it be that God has something better for you and I, for his people, for our children and for our grandchildren? Now, while we're doing this series, I want to be very honest with you. Uh, Take you on a journey that is very different from what the world has to offer. And I want to do that without apology. Some of you are going, well, man, I don't know. Does that mean you want us to be celibate? Well, you know what? God has called some people to celibacy. There's nothing wrong with that. God has called some people to being single. That's absolutely appropriate. But the fact is, there has to be a better way. There has to be a God way, a new way. Because you know what? What we call what we see happening today, normal, the way we find spouses and the way we find relationships and the way we find sex partners, if we call that normal, can you hear this again? It's not working. It is not working. And it doesn't, it is not working for hardly anyone. It's just not working. Because we do not want to end up at a normal destination. So therefore, we have to do something different. We have to take a different road, a different path. And quite honestly, what is normal, normal today is not acceptable to God. So remember our key thought and how important this key thought is. To be really fulfilled in life, you have to find the one. So let's talk about that for a moment. The first part is to find a spiritual way. Okay, now that sounds kind of corny when you're talking about dating and sex and everything, but follow with me. So 
Here's the way the world does it. And whether it's movies or books or whatever, you've all seen this. It's become part of your DNA almost because you think this is normal. Here's the normal way. You meet a girl or a guy and you have that kind of electric feeling between you. There's an attraction and and there's kind of a buzz between you. And so you go out on a date. okay? and most often, if you believe the movies, that date ends in sex. Or maybe, I mean, if you're a real loser, maybe two or three dates down the road, that date ends in sex and that physical contact. And then you decide to continue having that relationship or not based on your compatibility sexually. And and then if you stay together, maybe you move in together. After a while, you start building a friendship and you start building kind of a, a soulness, a connection of the heart, of the soul. You start becoming friends, and that's good. And, and then maybe you continue less, so you've got the physical part, then you've got this emotional part. And then the third part is the spiritual part. Most people don't ever get to that because they don't recognize its importance or its value. But that's the way the world does it. That's the normal way. And again, it's not working, Okay. Starting with the physical, then going to the emotional friendship level and never getting to the spiritual. It just doesn't work. So what does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches that. Put that on its head. Okay. You start with the spiritual. You connect with somebody who's a believer, someone that knows Jesus, that loves Jesus the way you do, because you are trying to find the one. You're not trying to find just someone. You're trying to find them. So you start with the spiritual. I remember when Sherry and I met, we met at a um, at a uh, missionary conference. And right away, the first thing we had in common was a love for Jesus and a love for the church. And in our difficult times in our lives, when we've gone through really rough patches, the only thing that kept us together was our love for God and our love for the church. So we started with that. And that's what the Bible says. You start with that piece. Then from there you go on and you move into the friendship phase, the emotional phase, the uh, connecting phase, the soul phase. And you discover, well, we really are soulmates. And this is really wonderful. We have the spiritual life together. We have this emotional friendship, love deep, deep, deep. And then we get married and then we have sex. And it's awesome and it's wonderful. And that's the way God does it. But here's the problem. Very, very few people do it that way these days. I have done over 200 weddings. And back when I first started doing wedding uh, premarital counseling, most of the young people were virgins. That is hardly ever seen today. You know, it's just everything in society has changed. What one generation embraces or what one generation allows, the next generation embraces. And so we've got this thing flipped upside down. So here is a provocative question that Jesus was asked. Okay, this is where we get into it. So the Pharisees, okay, there's a group of people, Pharisees were there, other Jewish people, as well as Gentiles and pagans. So there's a whole group, mishmash of people, and the Pharisees were always trying to trick Jesus, so they would ask him these provocative questions. And here's the question they asked him. What is the greatest commandment? Okay, so they're thinking, well, Jesus is going to pick one of the Ten Commandments of of Moses and and they'll say, oh, but they're all equally important. So they're trying to trick Jesus. So this is what Jesus said when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Here's what he said, Matthew 22, 37 to 39. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why are so many marriages messed up today? 
because we don't even have the ability to love ourselves. We don't have the ability to love ourselves. How are we possibly supposed to love and be committed to someone else when we don't even love ourselves? Here is the crucial point of what I'm trying to share with you today. The way that you love yourself is by seeing yourself through the eyes of Jesus. You see yourself as forgiven, blessed, graced, called, loved. You see yourself through the eyes of Jesus. You look in the mirror and you literally see the Son of God looking at you and say, you know what? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are amazing. I know that in your past that you've had some sin. I know you've done make broken promises. I know you've failed. I know all of that, but all of that is covered by my blood. And I want you to know that you are my son. You are my daughter. And you matter to me more than anything else. And when you recognize that, when you feel that deeply within you, when you know that, deep in your soul that God loves you and that Jesus loves you, then and only then are you able to identify a person that you can live with for the rest of your life. Too many people leave God out of the choosing process. Sometimes we just need God to take our faces like this in our hands like we do with our little children and we need to hear Him say, listen to me. You are not defined by your past. You are not defined by your sin." You are redeemed, you are blessed, you are loved, and you matter to me. And because you matter to me, you can find that person that will matter to you in a way that you can't even begin to understand and imagine. A person that feels loved is the only person that can give love. Otherwise, you have, and we have this all over our world and all over our country, right? We have people going around saying, fulfill me, please fulfill me, love me. Love me because they don't love themselves. They don't understand how God loves them. Fulfill me. I can't do this on my own. You need to show me. And so people are always looking for someone to fill that God-shaped vacuum in our souls with another person. And it never works. It never works. I've got to find the one that makes me happy. So we look to scarecrows. We look to golden idols. We look to all kinds of things. But mostly we look to another human being to fill that need in my life. Here's what I would love to see just one time. I would love to see a godly man meet a godly woman and go and tell his parents. And I remember telling my parents about Sherry. Um, Mom, Dad, I've met the most amazing woman. And she loves Jesus with all her heart. And she's committed to God and to serving. She, she's called to be a missionary. I, I'm, I, I'm, I love her heart so much. It's beautiful. And we've been going out and we have this heart connection that is so beautiful. And she's wonderful. She looks good and she smells good too. It's a bonus, right? And she's awesome. And mom and dad, I, I, I think that I could spend the rest of my life with her. And so mom and dad, I want you to know that, and please get ready for this, mom and dad, but I want you to know that I have met my number two. And mom and dad go, what what are you talking about? That's exactly what I'm talking about. When you allow Jesus and only Jesus to be your number one, then and only then can you find your number two. Then and only then can you know how to love a woman. I do not know how to love Sherry apart from God. 
Oh, I can help her meet some needs of hers and I can do some things that she enjoys and like that. But I, as a husband, cannot meet her needs without me being a fully devoted follower of Christ. She needs a man who loves God the way that she does. And she needs a man who will say, I love you with an everlasting love that is born in the grace of God. I want to meet. That's who you want to meet. You want to meet the two. Because for this man, Jesus is the one, and this amazing woman just may be the two. That's what Jesus said in Matthew. You want to have an amazing life? Women, you want to feel secure and fulfilled and significant? You make Jesus number one. You may not need a number two. A lot of people are very satisfied just living a life of singleness because it's not a life of singleness. (laughs) It's a life of being bonded and blessed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Your husband, Jesus Christ, desires to be the number one. Never forget that he is the number one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. When I'm at my best, Jesus is number one. Sherry's number two. When she slips down the the scale, or when God slips down the scale, that's when I get off track, and I am not loving her the way that I should. Never forget that Jesus is the one. This is the pathway. This is the road that is completely different from the world's. This is so bizarre compared to the world that people don't even fully understand it. But when you look for that significant other, with Jesus being number one in your life, and that significant other being a part of your life, then you have discovered something that is amazing. Many marriages fail When they depend on their spouse to meet all their needs. It's not possible. Only God can meet the depth of your soul. That God-sized vacuum in, in you cannot be filled by a man or a woman. If I could only meet the one, then all the songs on the radio make sense. No. Sherry and I will be celebrating our 43rd wedding anniversary on August 1st. And we've been together all that time. We've never been separated. We've had a lot of arguments. We've had a lot of close calls to bad decisions. But we're still together for one reason and one reason only. And that's because Jesus is number one to me. And Jesus is number one to her. We're not special. We're not unique. We're not better than anyone in here. But we have done this one thing right. We have kept first things first. And that's Jesus Christ. He's my number one. She's my number two. As long as I keep God number one. What's the bottom line? The bottom line is today's philosophy of relationships is far beneath God's standards. They don't work. They've never worked. Doing it the world's ways, physical, emotional, forget the spiritual, never, ever works. So we're going to get married and it's going to be awesome and We're going to each be half 50-50 in the marriage. We're going to do everything. We're going to be egalitarian. It's going to be awesome. Uh, We're going to have a picket fence, 2.4 children, a couple of cars. And, you know, I'm going to do my part. You do my part. You know, we're going to live by the golden rule. The golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do to you. Matthew 7, 12. We're going to make our marriage living by the golden rule. Here's the problem. Even that doesn't work. God's standards is for your marriage is not the golden rule. 
do unto others as you would have them do to you. God's standard for your marriage is something much higher. It's this. Do unto your spouse as Jesus has done unto you. Do unto your spouse as Jesus has done unto you. How many times have you been forgiven of your sins over and over and over again when you didn't deserve it? How many times have you been graced and loved and forgiven and put in a place of importance, not because of your skills or your gifts, but because God has just simply loved you? How many times have, has God loved you? And we are to love our spouses. Men, hear this. You are to love your wives like Christ loved the church and Christ died for the church. He would do anything for the church and that's how you're to, to love you. You're not supposed to have an egalitarian marriage. You're supposed to have a hundred, hundred marriage. You give a hundred percent because Christ gave a hundred percent to the church and your wife will give a hundred percent. God's standards for marriage is much higher than what we call normal. I want to love my wife as Christ loves the church. Brothers and sisters, don't settle for less. He wants to be the one in your life. And until he is number one, you will have a very difficult time either finding or honoring the number two in your life. The best thing I have going for me in my marriage is my love and devotion to Jesus. Everything else falls into place when I do that right and Sherry as well. I pray that each of you would discover who your number one is. The Lord Jesus Christ. No other person. It's idolatry if you choose someone else to be that number one position. What number is Christ in your life. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, so, so often life is pretty simple. We look around us and we say, okay, that's what's normal. That's what people are doing and it seems to work out okay. But this is one area where we've never really gotten this right. We are so locked into what Hollywood tells us that we just forget and we just ignore and we don't even begin to begin to look at what you have called for us. You have called me as a husband to love my wife as Christ loved the church, as Jesus died for the church, as Jesus shed his blood for the church. If I put you number one in my life, Lord Jesus, I know I can love Sherry the way you want me to love her. If we put Jesus number one in our lives, whether we have a spouse or a relationship or not, doesn't matter because we will be fulfilled and we will be filled with your love and your passion and your life. Father, we need you to be number one in our lives. No one else. So, Father, my prayer for every one of my friends in this church is the same. I pray that they would find their number one to be Jesus. Everything else will take care of itself Everything else will fall into place. My prayer is that every one of my dear friends in this church would find Jesus to be their number one. And when we do that, we will show the world what a Christian relationship looks like. And we pray these things, Father, in the precious name of our Lord and Savior. Amen.